coffin things in orbit he runs to the weary the worn and the weak and the same gentle hands that hold me when i'm broken they conquer death to bring me victory All right, parents, if you could put your hands up so your kids can find you. But welcome to Northside. Uh, we're glad to have you here. If you're visiting for the first time, I'm, I'm Pastor Gary. I'm the associate pastor here. For those of you that are wondering where our pastor is, we get the wonderful privilege of being able to witness baptisms today. Praise God. Yeah. So in the, next, in the next few moments, we're going to see baptisms take place. We're going to see times of testimony. But before we do that, this is, going to, this is going to seem a little odd, but please let's stand up and greet one another.
It's going to stay down? All right. All right, if you may return to your seats. Hopefully you have a seat. Well, we have the privilege this morning of doing not one, but two baptisms. So we have two baptisms. So we're going to break them up a little bit different. We're going to baptize Miss Addie, and then we're going to do a praise song together, and then we'll have another baptism. And so baptism, yeah, there we go. Baptism is a picture, right, of, of what Christ has done for us. We're buried in Christ. We're raised to walk in newness of life. And so this is Addie Power, and Addie has made a personal decision to repent of her sins and to believe in the name of Jesus. And so this morning, she's making that public. So there's a lot of people out here, isn't there? A lot of people that have been praying for you, right, encouraging you, loving on you. And we have, you have family and friends that are here today. And I know this is going to be a little bit harder because you're at a table but if you're a family member, a friend, and you came this morning just to see Miss Addie, would you stand? I know it's going to be a little more challenging, but look at that right there. All right. You going to step up or are you going to stay right there? All right. So I have one question for you. Put your hand. You don't have to hold your nose yet. Put your hands up. There we go. Right there. There we go. All right. So I have one question for you. Miss Addie, do you confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and Lord and Savior of your life? Yes, amen and amen. So based upon that confession of faith, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. High five. All right, there you go. All right, let's pray. Father, it is awesome to be in your house. Lord, to be able to see these kids, God, just singing of your praise Lord, to hear just, um, just that testimony from them, then to already see this morning in the water the testimony, Jesus, that you saved, that you have saved Miss Addie. We praise you for that. But Lord, her walk with you is just beginning. And I know many have been praying for her and encouraging her, but Father, we have that ongoing responsibility as a church family to continue to do that. So we rejoice, but God, continue to use her for your glory as we offer up the song of praise Lord, we lift it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you please stand with us and let's worship together. Praise is rising. Eyes are turning to you. We turn to you. Hope is stirring, hearts are yearning for you. We long for you. When we see you, we find strength to face the day. In your presence. All our fears are washed away, washed away. Oh, Santa, oh, Santa. 
God of this city. You're the king of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You are. You're the light in this darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. You are. There is no one like our God. There is no one like our God. Greater things have yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this praise team. All right, hopefully everybody has a seat. Um, I know some of you that are on the back, uh, if you're thinking, oh man, are we going to be able to eat? Yes, we're planning if we need to, to throw some tables up here on the stage when we get done. So we'll have plenty of seats and tables for everybody. Uh, what a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. So again, the focus this morning is just a time of, of thanksgiving, of worship, of gratitude, of praise, of hearing, of seeing 
what God has done, how God changes lives. And right now, we want to give you the opportunity to hear a story. So once a month, we've been having people share their testimony, the story of God's grace and God's mercy in their life. And so this morning, we have Miss Ashley Thompson, who is going to come, and she's going to share her story. So would you welcome Miss Ashley this morning? Wow, there's a lot of you. Good morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Ashley Thompson. Um, and one of my spiritual gifts is multitasking. It's a new category. <sighs> I was saved when I was five years old. I remember praying the sinner's prayer with my dad in our hallway at home after a church event and just thinking how I really didn't want to go to hell when I died. I was raised in a Christian home by Christian parents who took my brother and I to church faithfully wherever we lived. We were the type of family that was there if the doors were open. I attended Sunday school, vacation Bible school. Remember being in GAs, which stands for Girls in Action, for those of you who are too young to know. Um, I sang in my church choir, and I was very involved in my youth groups. I went to centrifuge camps, Disciple Now weekends, True Love Weights rallies, Christian concerts, you name it, I was there. But I wasn't there because I truly loved Jesus. I mean, I believed in Jesus, and I trusted him as my Savior. Tried to be a good Christian girl, but he wasn't truly the Lord of my life. My dad struggles with mental health issues that significantly affected my life growing up. My family moved a lot because he couldn't hold a stable job. Whenever people ask me where I'm from, I always joke and I tell them I'm from the South because I've lived in five different southern states. But picking up and starting over was not always easy for me. I was the new girl in elementary, middle, and high school. And I was picked on and made fun of a lot. I allowed my peers' perceptions of me to inform my self-confidence, and I did not stand firm in my identity in Christ. My dad also abused me when I was a teenager which was very traumatic. Church became my refuge, a safe place where I could go and have fun with friends. But when I left home to go to college, I left church as well. I dove right into campus life and took full advantage of my newfound freedom, spending all my free time looking for a good time. I remember visiting one church one time after settling in, but that was the extent of the effort I made toward plugging into a local church body. I also took a comparative religions course my freshman year that Satan used to plant seeds of doubt in my mind, and my faith started crumbling. I allowed myself to become, in the words of Paul, a little child tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. After graduation, I wanted to follow my friends back to Atlanta and keep chasing the good times. God knew what I needed and instead redirected me back to Huntsville, Alabama, where I'm actually from, and where I have a lot of family. On the relationship front, I had only had one serious relationship that didn't work out, and otherwise only, excuse me, casually dated a handful of guys, but none I considered marriage material. I thought I knew what I wanted and had decided on my criteria for a husband. Looking back now, it was a pretty silly, arbitrary list because I had come up with it on my own without seeking God's will. 
But again, he knew what I needed. During that time, I would travel back to Georgia most weekends to visit one of my best friends from high school. Her husband's extremely handsome and funny cousin, who had also gone to our high school, <laughs> would visit them when he was on leave from the Army. Interestingly, he and I had also been in the same youth group, but because he was younger than me, I didn't really remember him. But he will tell you that we first met in a volleyball track at Centrifuge. He will also tell you we honeymooned at Dollywood, but that's another story for another time. <laughs> we started dating long distance, then got married and started a new life together in Nashville, Tennessee. We got jobs, a house, friends, dogs, but no church. Life was busy with more school, work, travel, still spending our free time looking for a good time, but not God. I look back now and describe those 15 or so years as wandering around in darkness. Truly what Paul was describing in Ephesians chapter 4, walking in the futility of my thoughts, darkened in my understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that was within me and the hardness of my heart. When I look at pictures of my time during that time, of myself from during that time, my eyes look empty to me. I might have seemed happy in the moment, but there was no joy, no hope, no peace. Another thing I remember from that time is my mom and grandmother pestering me. My grandmother would ask if I was praying or reading my Bible. Most of the time I would squirm and deflect or even lie sometimes. Lie, y'all, to my grandmother. <laughs> my mom would text me Bible verses, send me links to sermons, and encourage me to find a church or a Bible study to attend. At the time, I didn't want to hear any of it, and I thought it was really annoying. But deep down, I also knew that they were right. And now I'm so thankful for their loving persistence. One night in 2013, I came home after a night out with friends, and my husband had said, said he had just watched a new show that he thought I'd like. So he turned on season one, episode one of Duck Dynasty. <laughs> now, I don't care anything about duck hunting, um, but I had lived in Louisiana for almost five years growing up, so I could identify. At the end of the show, when the family gathered around the dinner table, held hands and prayed together, I lost it. I thought to myself, that's what's missing, faith and family. It was like God hit me over the back of the head with a two by four. So that night, we decided to sell our house, move back to Georgia, and start a family. And that's what we did. What I wanted finally started to align with what I needed. After we got settled in noon and had our first daughter, I started looking for a church home. One Sunday, I took LMA to visit a very large, established church in town. I got there early, dropped her off in the nursery, and found a place in the sanctuary. The only person that spoke to me the entire service was the preacher's wife, who had noticed and cared that I was a visitor. I didn't go back to that church, but this time I didn't, kept, I didn't stop looking. We would drive past Northside frequently and always noticed all the kids playing on the fields, so we decided to give it a try. Our first Sunday visiting here, I knew this is where God was leading us to be. After we joined Northside, I remember Pastor Brian visiting us at home and telling us to hold off on diving in to serve, that we needed to spend some time being fed first. And boy, did we. I felt like a baby Christian. 
again. So much had changed since I left church as a teenager. It was a little disorienting at first. But God has used Northside in a big way to help me establish my new authentic walk with Christ as an adult. And now I understand what people mean when they refer to church family. I regret those years I spent away from God, but I know now that he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And even though I walked away from him for a time, I know that he never left me. I can look back on my life and see his hand all over it. He has even given me an easy way to share my faith, where I was too shy or nervous about doing it before. Having triplets, and especially when I had five kids under four years old, has caused me to receive a lot of attention. The unsolicited comment I receive the most is, I don't know how you do it. And my easy answer is always, God. What was initially terrifying and one of the hardest seasons of my life has become one of my biggest blessings as well, in that it has opened doors for me to tell people about Jesus. I can't point to a specific moment in time, but over the past eight years, I have felt God drawing me closer to him, opening my eyes, teaching me, leading me, guiding me. And my heart is undergoing a complete transformation. To reference Paul again, I'm taking off my former way of life, my old self, that was corrupted by deceitful desires, and I'm being renewed in the spirit of my mind so I may put on my new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. I can now stand here today and say I have joy and hope and peace, the kind that only Jesus can provide. I'm still very much a work in progress and in daily need of forgiveness and grace. But it is my desire and prayer to grow into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness so that I may walk worthy of the calling that I have received. And all to the honor and glory of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we do just thank you, praise you. It's the main focus of this service. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for a mom and a grandma who will just keep on keeping on, just encouraging and pointing back to Jesus, Father, when we go astray. Father, the reality is there are people in this room who can really relate to Ashley and her story. They went through some horrific things, not of their own choosing, but God, just things that happened to them. And in this story, God, we see that even you can redeem those awful things. Father, then we see that there are times in our life where we choose to walk away, where we choose through our own actions to live in sin, but God, we thank you as Ashley reminded us that, God, you never abandon us. That you are always drawing us back. And I believe right now at this moment, there are some in this room, God, maybe who have walked away from you. And through the baptisms, through Ashley's testimony, through the songs, you are already drawing them back. And I pray that today would be that moment of, of repentance, of renewal, of revival, of a reawakening in their life. And for those who have never given their life to Jesus, never believed that today would be a day of salvation as they hear your voice, Jesus, speaking into their brokenness, into their hopelessness, 
into their craziness that even now at this moment through Jesus there can be hope and peace and love and forgiveness. Thank you for being a God who saves. And we just offer up praise to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask you to stand one more time. And while we start singing choir members, if you'll make your way up to the stage. Redeemer for our 
Amen, amen. Thank you, choir. All right, so if this isn't challenging enough sitting at tables and chairs like this, uh, at this point our children are going to make their way out to Children's Church, so uh, we'll give you about 30 seconds for the chaos to take place here. Everybody else, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And children, you can make your way out to Children's Church. Ephesians chapter 6. All right, so if you have not been with us, let me kind of let you know where we have been. We're working our way through Ephesians. We've been here for over a year. We'll finish up, Lord willing, by the end of December. So last week we came to verses 5 through 9, and so what we did, if you weren't with us last week, you can go back and watch online, is we looked at what Paul's saying here in the context of his day. Because he is speaking to slaves and masters who are now Christians in the church, and so what he says to them applies directly to them. But you can take some of these principles, and that's what we're going to do this morning for about 20 minutes, It'll be a shorter sermon. We can take those principles and we can apply them to our setting today, which is not a slave-master relationship, but would be an employee-employer relationship. So this morning, we're going to think about, I know everybody's favorite topic, we're going to think about work. So, question as we start, how do you view work? Maybe your mentality of work is like the bumper sticker that I saw years ago that said, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Like you just go to work to pay bills. Or maybe you're more of the TGIF, thank God it's Friday. Like Monday morning, you're just looking to Friday. Like you just work to be able to have fun, to be able to do things on the weekends. Well, here's the good news. I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms the way you and I see our work and our jobs. Sinclair Ferguson writes this, Man was made to work because the God who made him was a working God. Our God is a working God, and he created man and woman to work. And so here's two big things that I want you to see today. Number one, this is a Thanksgiving service. So I want you to be thankful for the job that you currently have. And if you're retired, I want you to look back and to be thankful that you were able to retire from that job. Now, look, I know that's harder for some of you than others. Some of you, you're in your dream job. Some of you, every day you wake up wanting another job. I understand that. But we need, in this season of gratitude, to find ways to be grateful for the jobs that we have, whether that's as a mom or flipping burgers at McDonald's. The other thing that I want you to take away from this morning is this. I want you to be faithful in your job. Not only thankful for it, but to be faithful in it. Because some of the stuff we're going to look at this morning, the reality is the way you and I as Christians are to live is very different than how a lot of young people in the world look at jobs today. So, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. I usually ask you to stand, but I'm not going to do that. Because the, all the clanking of the chairs may make this more distracting. So usually when we read God's Word, you stand. But hopefully you have a copy. And in your hearts, just be standing in reverence of God's Word. This is what the Word of the Lord says. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. 
with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So Paul is saying, right, slave, master, this relationship with Jesus now transforms the way you relate to one another. Verse 7, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Then he speaks to the masters. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So I want you to notice four things this morning. Point one and point four we talked about last week, but now we're just going to apply them to the employee-employer relationship. Number one, you and I work knowing that our ultimate master is Jesus Christ, so we live to please him. We live to please Jesus. That's verse six. As bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God. So your heart, as a follower of Jesus, should be fixed on pleasing Jesus Christ. And this includes in your job, both employee and employer. Whether you are at the bottom of the totem pole or you are on top, your ultimate focus every day when you clock in, when you show up, is I'm here to please the Lord Jesus Christ, first and foremost. In every area of our life, as bondservants of Christ, this is about pleasing the one that we pledge allegiance to, which is Jesus. So that was point number one. Point number two, we work with reverence, sincerity, and enthusiasm. When we work, and there's a lot more that could be said here, I'm just simplifying. We work with reverence, sincerity, and enthusiasm. Look what Paul says. Again, he's speaking to slaves. We can apply this to our context, which is not slave master, but employee, employer. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters. And how are they to do that? With fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Here's a key word. Reverence. In your heart, you must start with a reverence for God, loving God above all else, having this healthy fear of God, that you want to please God, that you don't want to live your life in such a way that you bring disrepute to the name of Jesus, but that you point people to Jesus. So it starts with a healthy fear of God. Out of that, we have a desire to please Him. And in our desire to please Him, we want to obey the authority that God has placed over us. And so when you're in the workplace, most of you, unless you are top dog, you have somebody over you. You report to somebody. And so you want to do a good job in that. You want to be reverent. You want to be respectful. Now you contrast that to what we see among so many people today, which is a complete lack of respect. Anybody see this in the workplace? A lack of respect for people. A lack of respect for the people you work next to. A lack of respect for rules. Like if you're supposed to show up at 8, you show up 10 minutes early. That's what you do. You don't show up at 8, 10. You don't, you don't do your part so that somebody else has to take on more. right? You want to make sure you're being faithful, that you're being obedient to what you're supposed to do. How about just a complete lack of respect for the consumer? And then a lack of respect on people who go. 
Like, people are people. Whether you really like them or not, you are to at least be respectful to them. Like, there's no reason to be disrespectful to your employees. There's no reason to be disrespectful to fellow employees. There's no reason to go in, as I see happening more and more, just like blast the lady at Kroger or the guy at McDonald's because they're not fast enough. Like, don't be disrespectful to people. I mean, can you say, hey, you need to work on this and say in a gracious way? Yes, but just be reverent, be respectful. Then he goes on to say, with a sincere heart. Now, that word sincere heart means, right, wholeheartedly, single-minded. So here's a key word. Be dependable. Your boss ought to be able to count on you. Be dependable. Your employees ought to be able to count on you as a boss. You work wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly. Now, think about the culture today. Think about the people that maybe you work with, the places you go in to shop. They show up half the time, they give half the effort, and yet they still want full pay. They still want full pay. A couple weeks ago, I went to a nearby restaurant to pull in the drive-thru at lunchtime, and they said, sorry, we're not open. They can't get anybody to work. Nobody wants to show up to do their job. So you contrast our being dependable with no commitment, no longevity, no consistency. Like places are trying to train people. They get one paycheck, $100, they're rich, and they're gone. And now you got to start the process all over again. Like there's no hard-working people out there. Don't be like that. Be dependable. If you say you're going to do something, do it. And then the third thing is rendering service with a good will. That's what he says. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man. So that word good will can be translated zeal, can be translated eagerness, enthusiasm, good attitude. So here's the key word as we think about work. Enthusiasm. Show up and serve with the right attitude. Be teachable. Be a team player. And you compare that to what we see among so many people today. It's constant complaining. When they show up, they're running their mouth as soon as they get there. They're talking bad about the boss, bad about the conditions. They start gossiping about one another. And hear me, it's so easy to get sucked into that. I told you, I worked, and I'm not knocking any genders in this room, but I worked while I was in college at an arthritis center with medical records, the only other guy in there was another male doctor. I worked with a bunch of women. And every time I walked into a room, somebody was talking about somebody else. And that's just, and I'm not saying that's just because they're women, because I hear men do the same thing around the water cooler. Here's what I'm saying. As a follower of Christ, there should be no place for that in your heart. The gossip stops with you. You don't. You do not engage in it whatsoever. Right? Because that's not how we live our Live. So here's what I'm saying. Be, respect, be respectful, be dependable, be enthusiastic in your job, work hard. Hear me. Christians, followers of Christ, should be the best employers and the best employees on the job. But there's a reason why Chick-fil-A is so popular and so loved. And it starts at the top. Just do some research, man. Just do, and see what they, what they desired and how they begin to build their company. Man, it makes a difference when you treat people right and you put God first. It makes a difference. So here's a point of application for you. Don't 
take what God has given you to do lightly. Whether you are a junior in high school, or you got your first job, or you've been on the job for 25 years, or you're a stay-at-home mom, or maybe right now you're an unemployed dad, you're looking for a job, and so you've taken on more responsibilities at home. Whatever God has given you to do in this season of your life, even if it means you are retired, you do it well for the glory of God. Be respectful, be hardworking, be dependable, and honor Jesus in that. Number three, we do not work only to please man. Look what he says, and he's saying this to slaves, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ frees us from people pleasing. Amen? You do not have to live your life solely concerned about what other people think. And some of you, if you're honest, you are people pleasers. You want, not that you just want to do a good job and you want people to notice, but like you want people to like you. You want people to approve of you. And you'll do whatever it takes to get that approval. The gospel frees us from being primarily concerned with that. Paul says, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service and people pleasers. In other words, don't work hard only when the master's watching you. And we talked about slavery and, and why Paul says what he says last week. And so if you're struggling with that, go back and watch last week's message. But just think, he's saying to slaves, you are not to work hard only when the master is there watching. He's saying you are to work hard all the time. And the same principle applies for us. You are to work hard even when the boss is not around. So you guys know that I'm a huge basketball fan. Georgia fans, you're welcome. You have a bye week next week. You do not have to worry about Kentucky football whatsoever. They will not even score a point. But I'm a huge Kentucky Wildcats basketball fan. And if some of you are supposed to go help Miss Robin, this is the time that you're supposed to go. So it's a lighthearted illustration, and then we'll get to the serious part. So, um, so I'm a huge basketball fan. Growing up, growing up, March Madness, they would have four games on at a time. If you like basketball, they would have four games on at a time. Growing up, you could only watch one game. That was it. And usually, it would be whatever game they're showing in Lexington, Kentucky, because that's where I grew up. As I got older, they developed an app. They have an app for everything. It's called the March Madness app. So that, man, when I was in my 20s, early 30s, now instead of one game, they play four games at a time at different places in the United States. You could watch whichever game you wanted. You could watch all four at one time. So I remember checking out this app, and I noticed there was a little button called the boss button. So if you're watching at work, which obviously they're encouraging to do with the boss button, and you got it pulled up on your screen, and the boss starts coming, you hit the boss button, and it pulls up like these fake spreadsheets. <laughs> I kid you not. It's amazing. It was genius, right? You could do it. Like, you're watching the game, getting into it. Oh, the boss is coming. Boss button, spreadsheets pop up. He will never have a clue. The interesting thing, though, that is the mindset of many people, and maybe even some of us. When the boss is around, when the person you report to is around, man, you're working twice as hard. But once they walk away, like, you stop working. You're not as honest because they're not there looking at you. 
But here's the thing. We know our ultimate master is Jesus. And he is the one that we desire to please and honor. So here's the point of application. God's eye is always on you. It's always on you. Hear me. You may be doing things that your wife has no idea you're doing. That your husband has no idea you're doing. That your kids at this moment have no clue about this hidden part of your life. That I, as your pastor, your Sunday school teacher, we have no clue. You might be doing things at the workplace that if your boss knew, you'd be fired in a minute. And we think, well, nobody knows, so it's okay. But we forget the one that we are to be the most concerned about is always watching. And he knows everything that we even think. And when you understand that, that begins to change the way you live. Because it's not about keeping things secret from everybody else. It's about living honestly before Jesus who sees and knows it all. So therefore, we don't want to compromise our integrity. We don't want to compromise our convictions because Jesus sees and we want to be faithful. We want to stand before him on that day and hear, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Which leads us to the last point, and that is this. We mentioned this last week. We work knowing that the Lord sees and will reward us. It says in verse 8, Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. This is why you don't have to be worried about when you do something if people take notice. Now, will we like the promotion? Yes. Do we want to be the right, do the right thing? Is it nice to be recognized? Yes. But if you are never recognized, if no one ever knows, it's okay. Because what he's saying to the slave is, you do what's right, and if your master never thanks you, never rewards you, never lets you go free, know that the Lord sees and one day he will reward you. That reward will not come necessarily right now, but one day it will come. So two things. Number one, work is worship. Work is worship. Worship is not just what we're doing right now. This is part of it. But worship is what you will do on the way home. Worship is what you will do tomorrow morning on the way to work and while you're at work. All of life is worship. So work is a way to serve Christ. Listen to what John Stott says. I love this. It is possible for the housewife to cook a meal as if Jesus Christ were going to eat it. Or to spring clean the house as if Jesus Christ were the honored guest. It is possible for teachers to educate children, for doctors to treat patients and nurses to care for them, for shop assistants to serve customers, accountants to audit books, and secretaries to type letters as if in each case they were serving Jesus Christ. No matter what you're doing, whether it's trying to work hard in school or you're managing a company, you can do everything as if you're doing it to Jesus. Because work is worship. And the second thing I want to say as we close is God knows the work we do and he knows our motivation. God knows exactly the kind of work you're doing. He sees and he knows your motivation. The story is told of an elderly missionary couple who were returning home on a ship after serving many years of sacrificial service in Africa. On the same ship as they were coming back to the States, was Theodore Roosevelt, who had just completed a highly successful big game hunt. 
as the ship docked in the New York Harbor, thousands of well-wishers gathered and dozens of reporters lined the road to welcome home Roosevelt. But not a single person was there to welcome home these missionaries. As the couple rode to a hotel in a taxi, the man began to complain to his wife. It just doesn't seem right. We gave 40 years of our lives to Jesus Christ to win souls in Africa. Nobody knows. Nobody cares when we come home. Yet the president goes over there for a few weeks to kill some animals, and the whole world takes notice. They get home, they get to the hotel, they get ready to go to bed, they begin to pray together, and as they prayed, it's as if the Lord began to say to them, do you know why you haven't received your reward yet, my children? It's because you're not home yet. Brothers and sisters, you're not home yet. And if you are living for the applause of our culture, if you are living for the attaboys and the accolades and the promotions, you will always get discouraged because it'll never be enough. But if you are living to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus, and you are willing to do it in obscurity where nobody knows your name, hear me, your reward's coming. It's coming. And it's all eternity with Jesus. And he'll reward you by saying, well done, thy good and faithful servant. So let me, let me close by asking you a question. Where do you find most of your stress comes from? Where do you find, where do you see your failings and your flaws on display most often? My guess is it's in one of two places. At the home with your family or in the workplace. Most of your stress is either from your home life or your work life. Most of your flaws and your sins are on display at home with the people you live with or the people you work with for eight hours a day. And the good news is the gospel speaks to both of those places. The gospel says, husbands and wives, this is a picture of what biblical marriage looks like and you can honor me in that. It says, fathers and mothers and children, this is what the gospel does in your relationship. This is how you are transformed. This is what it looks like. And then it says to men and women, this is what it looks like to live for Jesus in the workplace. There is gospel hope in the midst of that. So hear me. Be thankful for your family for your husband, for your wife. Be thankful for your children. Children, be thankful for your parents. And employees and employers, be thankful for your jobs. Live for Jesus. Point people to Jesus. And hear me, know that there is grace, and there is mercy, and there is forgiveness every time you fall short. Fathers, there is forgiveness for you. Mothers, there's forgiveness for you employers, bosses, when you fail, there's forgiveness and grace for you. Employees, there's forgiveness and grace for you. And then let me say this as a way to kind of whet your appetite for future weeks. Here's the other thing you and I need to know. Every single thing you do is ultimately a spiritual battle. Paul's getting ready to get into Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We're going to dive into that next week. And man, what he's going to say to us is we ultimately do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Your enemy is not the person in this room. It's not the person sitting next to you. It's not whoever's in the White House. That's not our enemy. 
The one who is ultimately out to get you is Satan. He's seeking to destroy your family. He is seeking to tear it apart. He is seeking to use you to tear apart the workplace. He's willing to use you to tear apart a church, to rip it apart. That's what he desires to do. And your only hope is not to stand in your strength alone. Because you will fail every single time. But it is to stand in the power of the Almighty God. And that is how we overcome these spiritual battles. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Father, it has been an incredible day of worship, starting in Sunday school and then continuing in this time of, of worship, seeing baptisms and testimony and singing praises. And Father, we're going to sing one more song before we end our service, and we're going to sing about the living hope. And God, that's my desire because I understand that, that some people in this room, maybe many people in this room, Lord, they're just overwhelmed by the things of life. Maybe it's their job, maybe it's their home life, maybe they're just anxious about the things of the world and, and the way the world is and the, the way it's heading and lord we just we're lacking hope this morning maybe we feel defeated because of our sin because of our shame but yet this morning there is living hope in the name of jesus father maybe we're we're overwhelmed and we're lacking strength because we're trying to do this alone but this morning there is hope in jesus that we would stand in him if we would rest in him, if as Ashley reminded us, we would put our identity in him and not in the things of this world, there is hope. So, Father, my prayer is that you would just speak to hearts, that we would become men and women who are thankful for work, thankful for our jobs, and we would seek to be faithful there, that we would be thankful for life and we would seek to be faithful in life. Thank you for your grace that forgives us when we fall short. Father, as we sing this closing song this morning, may your people just lift up our praise with all of our hearts, with all of our voices, because you are worthy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and let's worship together. How great the King. <laughs> this is loud, Trip. <clears throat> How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the night Then through the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. 
the King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe and out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me then came the morning then came the morning that sealed the promise your buried body began to breathe and out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me oh jesus yours is the victory Christ, my living hope. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me, and you have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Christ, my living hope. God, you are my living hope. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Man, we pray that you know that living hope. And if you don't, that you would please see me, Pastor Gary, somebody sitting at your table and just ask them how you can know more about that living hope. So let me give you just a couple instructions uh, before Bill Morris comes and um, blesses the food. So after he prays, first of all, everybody is invited to stay for lunch. Even if you didn't bring something, you didn't know, there's going to be plenty of food, so we welcome you um, to stick around. After Bill prays, we are going to let our seniors, not our seniors in high school, but our seniors... And I don't, if you think you're a senior, we're not going to check your license. So you, we want you to be able to go first.